1: hello and welcome back to the show today's episode is a conversation uh, with San Diego board builder Josh Hall. It's actually the second episode with Josh Hall. But I would be remiss to not acknowledge that our country is in the midst of a historical week as it relates to civil rights and and what has been a long-coming existential reckoning. So clearly that is in the front of all of our minds. Uh, However, it is not what we're going to discuss in today's show. I'm sure that Chaz and I will get into it on Friday over on The Grit, and Scott Bass and I will cover it, or portions of it anyways, on Tuesday on SPIT. So today, Josh Hall and I are going to discuss surfing. But not just surfing, of course. Um, His recently developed passion of hunting will be a topic of conversation. We'll discuss our mutual appreciation uh, for the aging of our parents and how those relationships are evolving as both Josh and I are winking at 40 years old. And of course we'll discuss Josh's career as a board builder in San Diego and his apprenticeship under Skip Fry. And we do it all through the lens of recapping this past eight-week series I did focused on Kauai. Josh's relevance to that series will be evident in the first segment of our discussion. So you can find references of everything that we cover on surfsplendorpodcast.com, of course, and on Instagram at surfsplendor. So no need for me to belabor the intro. You know who Josh is. So without further ado, my name is David Scales, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Josh Hall. I feel for rain.
0: I see. Are laughing and funny faces of a cloud. My mind is
1: like spring in a clock. It won't Hello. Alright, Josh Hall, round two. Alright. In uh, returning to the scene of the crime, I think we were sitting right over there actually yeah. last time. <laughs> how many Not how many years ago is that, you think?
0: Let's see, we bought this house in January of nineteen. No, sorry, eighteen. So it'd be within two years. Yeah. Two years ago. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, right in the kitchen. Where all uh, the magic happens.
1: I was gonna say it's come together beautifully.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. You know, I mean it's just we were really lucky to to get into this place and um, you know, we we, a guy basically flipped it, bought it from the original owner in the fifties and we were fortunate to be able to pull it off and hang artwork and put a bed in the bedroom and that was it. Didn't have to really like literally didn't have to do anything except buy blinds. Amazing. Yeah. How
1: close is it to the shop?
0: Um, I don't know. Like as a crow flies, maybe like a mile and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Super close. It's, it's really lucky. And we're with within 10 minutes of every place. I grew up surfing and 10 minutes to our family's places and, and my family. So it's like this neighborhood. Cause I grew up in Claremont up, up the hill And we had friends that went to mission bay and claremont we'd come down here and i'd be like wow this neighborhood's cool man because it's all fishermen and firemen and and just a you know good vibe and like uh, roper joe roper senior like i worked at his house when i was 14 and he's down the block and larry Gephardt's a a block away and skip lives up the hill and so just far as san diego goes, bay park's kind of a really neat community you have uh designed
1: quite the life Congratulations! Thank you, dude. You're thank killing you.
0: it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's humbling and it's crazy to s- take a step back and yeah, really look at everything that's that's happening. Um, thank you. <laughs>
1: yeah, the uh, so obviously we're coming off of the Kawaii series, and what listeners probably don't know is that you were largely responsible for helping me facilitate a lot of the Kawaii interviews. Um, so I wanted to have you on because there's a lot to discuss about Kauai. even me talking about it and doing this series of episodes i feel like is delicate water that you don't that you want to tread and you don't want to spoil any secrets and what was unique about it though was how many people there were willing to actually engage in the podcast and share their stories Mm -hmm. which i wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. um what are your thoughts on that whole dynamic that goes on with kawaii about not spoiling the secret, and is there a way to tell the stories and do justice to those people and those?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I personally, I, I mean, I think you did a, a really good job. Um, I've always tried to tread really lightly there, like you said, you know, to be super respectful, and and um, you know, thankfully, the people that I've gotten to know there and small world connections, and my mentor from high school lives there, and but um, I think. I think you did a great job. You did. I mean, the people that you got to tell their story that maybe never would have been heard, you know, because they, they, they tend to just stay to themselves and they keep their head down and they, they work and they surf and they build boards, but they aren't like, Hey, you know? And so it was really cool to hear a lot of the stories.
1: Um, that's the thing. I don't, obviously you, I don't want to exploit. And so even going over there, I felt, um, reticent i was like i don't know if this is even gonna turn into anything maybe i'll get nothing and come home empty-handed but a lot of people do want to tell their stories and people want to be heard you know i think they just wanted they wanted they don't want it to be sensationalized or they don't want to be editorialized or whatever and so um i in the end i think it also came out okay but we should also state uh jimmy your yeah, buddy Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy Rodello. So give a background of what your um, what's your experience in Kauai and what's your connection to the island.
0: Well, it's, it's kind of funny in, in two different ways. So, um, I've my friend Smokey Bayless, he was my high school Spanish teacher. His wife uh his wife's family bought their house down in Hanalei by the pavilion I think in like 79 or 80. Um my first trip to Kauai was in 2000 for their wedding. So Smokey and Kim got married, okay. they invited 40 people over. We had all the houses there together and it was like one of the most magical weeks ever. So through them, i that was my first trip over there. My dad and mom went there, I think on their honeymoon, uh, even before I was born in 79 or 80. So my dad had been there, but I went in 2000 and um, I was just blown away. Uh, it was in the summertime in July, and we went and surfed on the west side and got waves, and I had a brand new fry, and I, my mind was blown. It was, it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this place might have some of the best waves in the world I've ever seen. So, but, and then, so 2009 was my next trip. It took nine years to get back, and I went, Smokey and my other, our other best friend, Joe Core. It was like a boys' trip. It was spring break. They're both teachers. Um, Smokey's in high school, and Joe teaches eighth grade. And so we went over and 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 got some small waves in Hanae and got to experience a little bit more. It was April, right? So there was kind of waves everywhere. And I, again, at that point, I, I decreed that that Hanalei was my favorite place I'd ever been to. Um, fast forward, I don't know. Maybe not even that much further along. Maybe two thousand. 10 or 11 i get a phone call from a guy from kawaii hey man what's up uh, my name's jimmy yeah i was at the Honolulu swap meet and you know uh, somebody there was some fries there and the uh, you know but they say well if you can't get a skip fry like check out this guy josh hall in san diego so he, you know we were just bantering back and forth you know and and jimmy's just like super jacked up and telling me like what he does and his kind of little bit i'm like yeah man so I ended up shaving him at 10 6 um kind of eagle there's a jr model nothing to do with his initials but um we just hit it off we just like hit it off he kind of told me he was like a youth pastor back in the day and he like ran camps where he, you know he'd take kids into into to, into their house and he would train like teach them how to fish and how to surf how to dive how to swim how to paddle like prone paddle he'd take him like on downwind nepali runs and i just was like whoa this guy's gnarly like that sounds, you know, scary, basically. Yeah. And, and you know, a couple of kids now have come to, like, they've become Navy SEALs. So, and it was kind of, it was a God thing, right? It was kind of like a youth kind of church-based thing, but without being overbearing on, you know, on the God part. But it, that was involved in it, too. And, you know, and like Skip, you know, Skip's a Christian and that whole, and I was vibing with that, too, at that time. And it just was like, wow, this guy's really, he's doing something awesome and so he flew over uh uh i think his son at the time was living in newport we, anyways long story short skip and i drove up to Sano and met him and i had his new board and we all went surfing and it just was this like whoa this guy's cool and that and that's yeah. how it started Amazing. i mean that was it and we were just like kind of best friends starting right there and and he you know we talked about Kauai and the history and kind of his history with being there um, I think he moved there, they might've been 18 or 19. He's not born and raised there, but uh, he just told me all the old guys that like like, like Fur Cat and Ambrose and Lunchmeat and these guys, you know, that would come over and they'd ride big boards out at the outer reefs. And, you know, he just was vibing on the big board thing. And of course I was building those styles of boards and we just hit it off. And um, my dad and I went back over there 2000, 14, we all met up in Oahu and i shaped everybody 11 footers and we all met up in Oahu and did a full South shore trip. Like his family came over and my dad and I met up there and we just started talking about it. And my dad was going to retire the next year. And, and he's like, well, you know, why don't you send your dad to my place? You know, like we have an extra place. You can stay there. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. Like, okay, let, you know, so my dad retired and we took him a couple of months to clean up everything on this end in San Diego. And my dad's been living there now for, yeah, almost five years on the same property as Jimmy. Wow. And through Jimmy, I've gotten to know a lot of people on the island and been able to go surf certain places that probably most people don't get to go surf. And and it's just been, it's been, I mean, you couldn't plan it any right. more sacred than that to have, you know, because even people that go to Hawaii all the time, let's say other famous pro surfers or whatever that go to Oahu they can't you know a lot of guys get slack you know they get flack when they come to kawaii you know and um it's just always had that underground like don't talk about it don't take photos of it and i respect that because growing up in la jolla you know here in pb you know you have the la jolla reefs and that's that's how it was here you don't take photos of this wave and if they did you know back in the day they would probably try to smash your camera or whatever yeah so i just always respected that and there's a there's also there's kind of a long lineage with San Diego and Kauai. Like surfers have been going over there. In fact, I was talking to my pinliner um, Larry Crow, who's 70 this year, and he went in '69 and surfed. And he just yesterday he was pinlining boards, talking about Kauai and his experience. And you know, uh, and then Skip's daughter lives there, and and there's a lot of San Diego guys that have gone over with like the Skip style boards. So there's sort of a culture of that board there. And I'm just fortunate enough to be building that same board and now having these, the connection like with Jimmy and then who, who he's introduced me to. It's just, I feel really lucky, you know, just to be, be able to go over there.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> how does your dad like
0: it? Uh, he loves it. Does uh, he? yeah, my dad, you know, retired, you know, Vietnam vet, um, his, his life was changed back in, in, uh, I guess my parents got divorced in 89. So my first trip to the Hawaii ever was, we went to Molokai. What? Yeah. That's we went, crazy. Yeah, we went to Molokai. Um, we flew in. We stayed in uh, Kaunakakai, like right there, the, t- the main town. And we went, it was kind of the end of, it was end of summer. I think it was eight or nine. And I just remember like, you know, it was rad, but I definitely remember like my parents fighting and like, but we also got to meet some really cool people. We were at the Molokai ranch, like hung with those guys. Um, but what really the significant part of that trip is my dad went down to Kalapapa when, when you could still take the, the donkey ride down and I had to hang up cause you know, I was what nine back then it was still contagious. So my mom and I just hung and my dad went down and basically what I've come to surmise is that he had a complete spiritual. Uh, transformation and so we came home um, after that hopefully he doesn't mind me telling the story but I think it kind of kind of defines how like I've always had a really nice connection with Hawaii uh, in that in this sense Um, so we we came home and then he was supposed to go on a work trip with uh, he used to do the Thunderboat races here and and he was gonna go to the Las Vegas so it was Molokai San Diego Thunderboat races. Next race is in Las Vegas. Well, unbeknownst to me or my mom, he went back to Molokai for two weeks, and I had—I remember because his jaw, his um, company kept calling. Hey, is your dad—is Dave Hall there? I'm like, no, he's on vacation. You know, That's like funny. I not know. I was like in whatever third or fourth grade, and and um, he went back. He went back there, and he hung with not just down in Kalapapa but he hung with some of the other locals that we had met. And so when he came back from that trip it was quit his job, divorced my mom, and moved out. Wow. And it was it's the happiest he's ever been. Like wow. he hung in now in my adulthood we've had some conversations. And I've I've come to realize like he hung in way longer than he should have, but he did it cuz of me. Of course. You know, he wanted to be around for his son. But that trip was like just seeing the people down in Kalapapa and their their spirit and their energy like tweak, like that was it. He go he came back and just set his life straight. And he moved out, moved into my grandma's house in La Mesa and then got a job at the Hotel Dell. He's there for from not from eighty, no, from ninety till twenty fifteen. Right. What's, and he's worked every day. And... what is Kalapapa? Kalapapa is the it's it was the leper colony. Uh, on the north side on Molokai. of on Molokai yeah and you know they do tours tours sounds so wrong but you were able to go down and visit and, and see the colony and meet people and and it just changed him I mean it really for him it put in perspective like what was right or what needed to be right in his life and it wasn't putting up with my mom's stuff or whatever and his job he was working graveyard shifts so he's like missing a lot of like me growing up because he's you know working from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. and then sleeping all you know like it just there was a lot of stuff and that trip cleared it and so um i wouldn't have known that like you yeah. know 30 years later we'd still have this really right. beautiful relationship with with not only Kauai but you know we have our ohana in, in Waikiki and Tori and I you know my brother Eric Casco and Lahaina you know we're godparents to to his uh, third son so it's like just crazy how it's evolved so in regard to your dad um and
1: his kind of radical life change i told you lauren and i were at lunch with her grandmother and uh her grandmother who's 86 and she's reflecting on life and she just got out of three months of quarantine from covid so so she hasn't had any human interaction and so she really kind of spilled her heart out to us at lunch Mm -hmm. and was reflecting on life and things that she would have done differently and all of this and um as we were leaving that lunch driving here i said to lauren i was like it's uh there's no time to be miserable in life Mm. and you got to make the right decision for yourself and i know that you want to uh Preserve things for the kids and all that sort of stuff, but kids don't want to be in an unhappy home either. Mm-hmm. And so it's brutal sometimes to have the conversations that need to be had, yeah. but it's worth it because living kind of with integrity and honesty and openness is the only way to live. Yeah. And it, it'd be a shame to get to that point to your 80s and look back and go, wow, there was 30 years that I was miserable yeah, and that I did something I didn't want to do. And by the way, your kids are fully aware of that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. Yeah. If you're unhappy, people know it. You oh know? man. And especially kids.
0: Totally. I, think that I, I always equate like young kids growing up they're They're just sponges of electrical pulses. For and sure. They know without even being able to describe in words, they know what's going on. Exactly. Like I did. Exactly. Like, I, you know and I'm like whatever
1: once he tells you later in life it does fill in some of the context and the gaps yeah but you knew yeah you knew that they were unhappy you oh, know totally. what I mean yeah. and so yeah living in an in two happy homes is better than one unhappy home totally. you know what I mean yeah. yeah so I'm glad that your dad was able to uh,
0: oh yeah rip just, that band-aid yeah he just ripped it off and like he said it was it was the best decision that he's that he's ever made for himself yeah. you know? right and, and thankful to jimmy and jen for at that time and we we're all together in oahu to be like hey why don't you come stay with us yeah ultimately my dad wants to return to molokai
1: really yeah ultimately awesome.
0: um it's funny again i hope he's okay with me talking about it but you know you he, can ask
1: before i publish this yeah
0: um I, it's funny Hawaii's like as rad as it can get too, you know, and he's with family. So even though I can't be there and Tori, we can't be there, he's got Jimmy's family. And he's got the kids and the grandkids. So he's Papa Dave, you know. So yeah. he's got he has a full Ohana to like be around, and you know, because the worst thing would be to have him go somewhere and then he's just by himself. Totally. You know? Like you want to keep him. So he's walking down to the beach every day, or picks yeah. up trash, and he's you know doing stuff for the VA over there. Good. Um, so he's involved, you know, and he's awesome. and he does side projects too. Like he's a, he's a finished carpenter, so you know if he's got a put on the belt and slam some nails and cut some wood like my dad can handle you know and
1: it's probably good for him anyways totally. just to have a job yeah. occasionally yeah so that's awesome
0: yeah so that's kind of how our know.
1: well back to boards you said there's a culture of the big board thing there that was planted by skip originally um yet jimmy reached out to you is there anybody on Kauai building that style of boards or did jimmy have to go to you in order to get it
0: no, I mean, I no, no. I'm sure that there's guys over there that have gotten in, you know, I mean, Stevie, let's build some big 10-6 pintail, you know, five-fin guns and stuff. No, there's guys that, that do it. I just, I think the the skip style itself is really unique. Yeah. And so I think it was my, maybe just the feeling of a board that he was looking for, like, because no, there's guys that build big boards over there, but it, it just was this like certain design thread that he was after.
1: And, um. Tell me, what are you referring to when you talk about big boards?
0: Well, I don't, people call them gliders. Gliders is like a general term. Um, down here, we call them big boards. So it's basically anything over 10-6. Um, and then that's what we call them. Um, and that, for, for me, that's just what Skip called them. Like when he, when uh, Clark came out with those blanks in the early 90s and Skip shaped his first 11-footer, that's just what they called them. They were big boards. Um so what's
1: unique about the skip design that you're talking about that Jimmy was looking for?
0: I think, well, definitely the parallel rails and the, the lower rocker. And then just that kind of, you know, up, up rail in the nose, neutral, and then, and then, you know, hard edge in the tail. It's just a certain way that that feeds through the water dynamically. Um, and there's certain bottom, as- bottom contour aspects that, what I feel need to be put into boards for them to operate correctly. Um, but yeah, really it's just the the parallel rails. So anytime you have a, a straight um, design element, either you know flatter rocker, straighter outline, that's going to increase speed, right? But it's also going to stiffen things up. So you have to counterbalance that with some bottom contours and curve in the outline to bring turnability back. And so it's kind of a yin and yang. Like you can overdo one for maybe one type of, wave or you know if you basically if if you yeah if you have too much tail rocker you know i know it helps in the bigger surf but like overall like down here in san diego you know yeah you can turn it anywhere you want on a wave but when you want to really lay a rail on and go and like and and hit it and you know jam down the line you aren't going to be able to do that because the tail rocker is going to want you to come come up the face to stay where the speed's at So it's just a combo, man. I mean, there's a million ways to bake a cake, but kind of where Skip's taken his career for 60 years is, you know, kind of our, like my North star, you know, like that's where I'm trying to go. Um, And it turns out that for a lot of waves over there, they, they work well, you know, but I always say the bigger, the board, the more Aloha you got to show until the stand-up thing, because the stand-up guys took the heat off the big board guys, A little bit, yeah. You know, because they got to stay way outside, you know. <laughs> with a with a big board comes a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. You just, you know, down here we'll bounce, we'll surf one spot, catch three four waves, go to the next spot, right, to, to not just totally gas yeah. a lineup out. Right. So, you know, but they, it, it turns out they work really well there. And I think, too, you know, like, Skip told me the story when he surfed in the Duke as an alternate, about sunset. He does it's funny, he doesn't really talk or like remember a lot of details about that like era, like the golden era, like with the Wind and Sea Surf Club and Sunset and their trips over there. But he just told me he's like, Man, I remember out at Sunset and it just looked like houses rolling towards the beach. And all I could think of is I just want more board. And I think him and Henson when they went had two Two ten eights. It's like the you know the Coho guns, the classic skip. So that was that winter, and they took him to Coho to to basically test drive them. And I think they had a ten six, a ten eight, and two eleven fours or something. But even at that, he goes, dude, I want. He's like, I wanted more board.
1: Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit because before we turn the mics on, you were talking about him basically taking boards to Hawaii that were the same boards that he was riding here in San Diego, and then kind of having an epiphany of changes that need to be made retell that story or talk me through that and what were those changes well yeah I just
0: um, you'd ask me like you know well why do you think big boards work well over there and I just I mean if you look back at the history of people from California heading to the North Shore they were bringing the same boards that they were riding at Hermosa or Huntington or down here in PB right their first trips then when they got over there they go oh yeah these things spin out or right so it took you know uh, you know other older pioneers like Kern and Diffender and guys oh we got to pull these you know stretch these things out so every subsequent trip boards got more tuned in for going over there but my what I what I was alluding to was like well if those guys were able to ride like if you look at the Duke like in 64 65 whichever the one was televised I mean like Rusty Miller and all these gnarly guys are riding longboards like single fin longboards and and kind of making it but most of the time it's not right? right so my what i was saying is like well gosh if i just you know anything i build with all the knowledge that i've been passed down and my influence from here it should work <laughs> you know? yeah you know it should work right better than than the long boards so yeah that's kind of what i was referring to is like anything built nowadays is going to work way better than what those guys originally were going over on for sure yeah i mean there's some footage of skip on his model at like I don't know four foot Holly Eva and and he he's still he's just like Ugh, the model era he's like those were the worst boards like you know the that whole like the GNS like the stretch model when Nat came over and won in sixty eight like he go I mean skips he said like yeah I I was you know rocking company colors riding the stretch model. He goes, that was like the worst board to shape and serve. He's like, I'd have done way better on my first home build. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. but that's, you know, it's all history, but yeah, just um, interesting.
1: When you go to Kauai, do you ever build boards?
0: Um, I have shaped three boards at Toppers. I don't know if... I don't. It, topper will probably be someone else that you interview maybe next time when you go there. Um, uh, he's got a little shaping bay. It's just about... I don't know, a couple two three miles past Anahola as you head towards towards Hanalei. Um, I I built Jimmy three boards there, uh, just for fun. Um, but Topper's a San Diego guy. He's originally from here, Sunset Cliffs. Like he knew, you know Stevie from back in the day here, and he's got a really he's got a colorful history too. You know, another guy that you should look yeah. up. And I don't know him really well, but just from what Jimmy's told me.
1: But in terms of you'd be able to um, spend a lot more time in Kauai if you could set up a board building gig there. Why don't you build boards when you're there?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's what you discovered, man. There's no, like the glassing thing. It's- Is it's, that the issue? I don't glass. I've, I've probably glassed eight boards, 10 boards total. Like I built, let's just say I built 10 boards start to finish my career. So I can't go teaching anybody anything, unfortunately. that When I wanted to get into shaping, Skip goes, look, if you want to surf, just worry about shaping. Don't try to do the surf shape glass thing because you won't have time to either you'll put out six to eight awesome boards and not surf or it's going to take you a year to get boards to people because you're wanting to surf when the surf's good, right? And and so I just stuck to that and um, I ha- hats off to the guys that can do it all. Oh, yeah, of I, course. I mean, it's I think that's really gnarly um, and I think few people can actually do it and pull it off, but uh, it just wasn't my thing. So – yeah, I mean, if there was a shop there that that could just put out really, really quality glass jobs, I'd go do 20, 30 boards a year, if if they're, you know if the work was there. Right. Um, I have my own crew here. Uh, diving glassing kicked out three years ago. And so I've gotten, I, I basically have the diving glassing crew and they're a legendary, they're probably the best finishing crew in the business, like anywhere. So I'm really fortunate. So I part of me goes, well, the best boards are gonna be built out of my home shop if I like money wasn't an issue, I'd fly them all over there for a month and we go, if there was the space and somebody had a shop there, it'd be, yeah. And then maybe, you know, somebody could pick up, you know, it's just tough. You know, it's, 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 I know that their industry there is, you know, relatively small compared to other areas. So the fact that the guys that are building boards there can actually get them done is awesome. Yeah. You know, I don't want to come in and be like, Oh, I'm going to do 30 boards or 40 boards. And like, I don't, you know. Hey, fact I can come surf. I'm stoked. Right. The guys want to get a couple boards a year um, is awesome. Yeah, uh, but yeah, what I it's it's the Hawaii thing. I know there's guys that can do it, but the glassing side of it's really tough because of the, the the humidity and the temperature. Um, and no one's going to pay to have a factory temp control. I mean, I wouldn't do it here. I mean, either the AC and the humidifiers like that would put you out of business just for electrical costs. And so it's tough. You know, you got to. You know like san diego most of the year there's about two weeks in summer and two weeks in the winter time where it's like okay yeah you know boards aren't going to come out as well built because it's either too cold or too hot there's you know varying issues in there but most of the year man it's like perfect prime time i'm my shop's like literally a mile up the channel from Mission Beach so we always have a cool breeze and you know the the ceiling and the the, the walls heat up but like inside stays a pretty okay. constant humidity and temperature again a couple of weeks in July and a right. couple of weeks in December it gets hot too hot or too cold but they just come out really well built and they're solid and they don't delam and they last and so the boards that I I have shipped to Hawaii you know Oahu and um Kauai and Maui people notice the difference like well, I've had this board for two seasons and there's no heel dents or there's no d um, And again, you can do it but like it's it's hard and expensive to, And if there's not that consistent work, there's not, you know, whatever the number is a year 200 or three or four five hundred boards going through a factory. It's doesn't justify having That, you know, it's a huge expense. You
1: know? Totally um, Tell so, me about um what's been going on with your business through COVID?
0: Well, COVID, it was really weird cause we were there the whole month of March. Kauai. In Kauai. Yeah. Yeah. We were there in Kauai visiting my dad. And, um, you know, the shutdown started here and I was talking to my business partner and people are freaking out and you're like, Oh, you should close cause of this and you know, liability. And, and then, you know, you're non essential or, and, so it was hard to get a feel for like what the actual vibe was here in San Diego. And I got back and talked to my business partner and we did, we shut down for a little while. Um, I was still going in shaping though. I had a, I had, you know, 30 or 40 blanks when I got back and I have my own spot
1: where did you have a backlog of orders because you were gone?
0: Um, not, I, not really. I kind of always run a queue. Right. So I kind of always have like, okay, well you order a board for me today, then I'll shape it in eight weeks and then it'll be done four through the glassing. So I kind of always run that. And so the, my shop had work while I was gone. Like they didn't, um, we glassed some boards for skip and, and some other guys down here, uh, also. But, um, so when I came back, I had all these custom orders cause all the shops like I had, you know, basically in February, March, April, I'm starting to line up shop orders for May, June, July and customs like if you order a custom in february march at that time it's like oh it's gonna be four months you know because i've got to get through these you know i only do so many boards a week and so i schedule it out um and then with my japan thing you know that's whatever 16 boards a month or so it's like you know if you're doing eight a week 16 that's that's half a month you know mm-hmm. i mean i can obviously shape more than that but uh, it's a good balance and it's good flow for the shop and so when I came back, I just told all the shops, like, look, until we figure out how this is going to play out, I'm just going to keep your orders. And I have a website, you know, my, I, I have an online store. So, and a little showroom now. So I just, versus putting the burden on them to have to pay for a six or eight pack, I just kept them and then kept them in-house and put them up online. And and so that that helped alleviate that. And then I just started going right to my customs, which is cool because the way it is now, like if you call up, like you probably get aboard in six weeks. The, the other bummer was, well, partly because of COVID and partly now, because my dad's got a little eye thing we got to get taken care of. I'm not going to France. It's the first time in a decade that I've been in San Diego in May and June. So the last 10 years, everything prior to my France trip is all my wholesale stuff. It's all my Japan stuff, all the shop stuff, right? So now that that's not happening, um, I'm here and it's cool because it's like, okay, yeah, guy's call, hey, I want to go, good... yep, all right, cool, I'll order your blank. I'll come next week and I'll probably shape it the week after. So people are able to actually get a board in time. And then the other thing that I think why it's really busy right now is like we were talking about earlier, families are canceling trips, people are scared to travel. So on my my analogy that I've used not not just like we were talking earlier it's like well what's a family trip to Kauai for four, 10 grand for yeah. two weeks well they aren't going so Dad wants a new board so yeah I hope it stays how it is I mean if I could just do you know twenty five or thirty customs a month like skip basically one a day I'd be that's awesome right I'm. It's the first time in a long time i have actually enjoying shaping. Like really? Like being in there and being like, yeah, all right. Like, oh, yeah, Dave ordered his board. He surfed the river. Okay, yeah. And get in there. And, you know, not that I haven't not enjoyed it, but it's like it's fun because it's customs. I'm not just doing seven six Fish Simmons or six eight Pisces or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, he ordered a 10'6 10, 10, uh, Diamond Tail. Or, you know, a uh, guy in uh, the Big Island ordered a 12-foot Pintail. So it's like every day I go in and do one at a time, start to finish, man. It's 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 kind of like it was 10, 12 years ago before I got busy. Mm-hmm. So I got time to surf, I got time to like shoot my bow, work out with my wife, and nothing, you know, I have bad hips, so I'm trying to like put off hip surgery as long as I can. So with our workouts and what we're doing, like it's it's actually, my body feels good and surfing doesn't hurt, and I can do all that stuff all in the same day, and it's kind of put it in a perspective of like, huh, well, when we get past this COVID stuff, this night might just be the, like, you know, new normal. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> it's funny
1: the way that COVID has reset uh, things in a good way in so many different ways. Like, certainly, it's we've learned to um, value essential things, mm-hmm. you know. But we're also spending more time with family and all that. But yeah, in a work professionally, you've learned to kind of trim a lot of fat and tighten your belt and run a more lean business yep. and then also just start appreciating those types of things there's yeah. a lot of good i think that can come out of all the horror yeah you
0: know. yeah absolutely i agree you know first of all we're really lucky exactly right? like yeah to, i mean the fact um, that your business
1: is thriving yeah, alone yeah is unique
0: yeah i i know and it, it unfortunately i think there's going to be a lot of not this stop this example unfortunately and and and, you know, I don't think a lot of people thought three to six months from now where when the stipend runs out and the government can't pay the dole and there's no jobs because they've been shut down, companies have been shut down for so long. Um, that's kind of looming out there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I never would have forecasted this. Um, well, it. I don't like, know if it's like a culmination. Like, for example, like I have a lot of big board orders right now. And right when we were in Kauai... Um, uh, we, I did that little thing with Surfer Magazine talking about the big boards, and then since then, there's there's been a couple of good swells over there, and I've seen some photos of guys riding, you know, my boards and like solid surf, and I'm like, all right, man, like that's really cool. I guess what I, I hope what comes out of COVID is, and I've talked to people in my industry and like other industries, is that people really do start to question and care about where they're what they're buying. I agree. Right? Because people aren't might not have a lot of money coming out of this. And so when you go to lay out a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars or a hundred and fifty dollars for a pair of shoes or jeans, they're actually really like, wow, this was like like Jocko, Jocko Origin USA in Maine. He goes, Josh, he's like, I'm one machine away from from being able to compete with China prices on building jeans and everything, the denim's made in the United States and the jeans are made at my shop in Maine. So it's like, i pay an extra 20 bucks to know that those jeans were made here in the US, right? Now, again, we can't take it, like, I guess, how far can we take the, you know, don't support the China bills, right? A lot of stuff, unfortunately, what we use in daily life is unfortunately made there. But if I can help it and people think, you know, because we are quick to forget, hopefully they'll remember like, Oh yeah, well, you know, the overseas built stuff, the built boards, you know really? Like you want to I've seen more wave storms in the last two months than I can count, which really bums me out, but I also can't be like, what the fuck are you doing on that fucking thing, you know? You're a great surfer get a board, mm-hmm. you know? But that's a, that's another argument, but you know, I think people when they when they come to spend that money, they're going to really value where it's coming from, and hopefully they just, they don't forget what's transpired in the last four months you know i know i hope so too i, I think yeah.
1: <laughs> i agree with you though i'm definitely more interested in sourcing of things than mm-hmm. i ever have been before and i'm not sure even how it's related to covid but i think it is and um yeah higher qual- I, you feel it feels gross to be as wasteful as i was prior to covid so pre-covid i felt like i was on a hamster wheel and we're dining out hamster wheel in every way like hamster wheel in terms of emails that i can't catch up with i'm on the freeway every day going back and forth to work plus doing a bunch of podcasts plus um you know going out to eat three nights a week and Mm -hmm. drinking all the time and all that sort of stuff and covid's forced us to turn the volume down and just sit and listen and be with yourself and i catch up on emails and then i have a few hours left in the day yeah. so then i go for a run and all of a sudden i feel better yep. and then i go wow okay well if i want to run tomorrow then i probably shouldn't eat you know 16 ounces of red meat tonight or whatever yeah. i would do previously well, yeah or the, conventional red meat <laughs> well, right so then there's that yeah so then there's i for whatever reason and part partially from my conversation with dustin barca on that trip but a lot of other things too i'm like oh where do you get your meat from? Yeah, and now and then I was reading. I'm also simultaneously reading Michael Pollan's book. Yep, which um, one? The How to Change Your Mind, but yeah. also the food one. Okay, uh, the Omnivore's Dilemma. Yeah, so I'm learning all about sourcing and the commercial sustainable, sustainable farming and yeah. the whole supply chain involved in every type of food that we put in our. Bo- and it's like, oh my god, this is horrifying, right? So you want to be more conscientious about the meat meat sourcing and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And I am totally willing to spend a premium because first time, of all, time
0: to pick up a bow, learn how to hunt. Right.
1: Exactly. So that conversation, which I'm so jealous of. Well, you, but keep but going. I don't
0: want to interrupt you with that. No,
1: but. uh, you're not interrupting. It fits in perfectly. Um, we have elk sitting over there. That's what's on the menu this evening. Yeah, elk where, where did that come from?
0: Um, well, uh, that came from New Mexico uh, last September September 12th I harvested harvested my first uh, bull elk with a bow on public land guided it was a guided hunt okay but still public land so you don't know what you're gonna get and yeah the uh, archery thing for me has been a amazing crazy culmination of connections and timing and how did you even get into it well, I had a bow when I was young. So my dad's brother is a elk hunter. And I remember going, he lived in Oregon, and we drove up when I was like, I don't know, seven or eight, and I walked into his house and he had this big elk mount, right? Like full shoulder mount. I'm like, wow, that thing's crazy. And he was an archer. So he set me up with a 3D target and a bow, sent me home. You know, my dad, we drove down, and, and yeah, I just got in the backyard, just, you know, plug arrows away, and I just thought it was cool. And then they kind of quit talking, and you know, whatever else happened in life, sports and surfing and whatnot. But I really loved it. You know, we always had like BB guns and 22s growing up because of my dad and although my dad wasn't a hunter because he's like, oh, I've already, I've hunted the ultimate predator, right? Vietnam and stuff. So hunting for him was never like, yeah, let's go. I want to teach you how to hunt. But um, fast forward to, I don't know, a couple, last couple, two, three years, going to France, you know, I, I, well, I listen to podcasts when I shape, right? Because it's a great... I mean, I've learned so much. I've listened to books and I've listened to, you know, so I got on the Joe Rogan podcast and, and then I, you know, I hear these guys all chumming it up and they're in Lanai, I think it was, uh, it was Joe Rogan, John Dudley, who's become a friend, um, Cam Haynes, I don't know, Barclay was there, Shane Dorian. So I am like, oh, Shane Dorian and Mark Healy hunt. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. So I would listen to this podcast and I was like, man, I go to Hawaii like five times a year, like what an opportunity. Like, to to maybe go hunt. And so I came back, and it turns out that Tori's dad has hunted with Bob Fromm, who's the legendary archer, owner of Performance Archery right here in San Diego. So a lot of these guys come to town. Like, Rogan's come down to get his bow built. uh, Dorian and Mark Healy, Matt Miola, like, those guys come and get their bows built here in San Diego. I'm like, well, shit, it's right up the street. Yeah. pretty much, 15 minutes. So I went up there, and um, uh, Tori's dad gave me – reached out to Bob. Hey, my son-in-law is going to come up and he's like, Hey, I'll take care of him. And it went up there and we met and of course he's a surfer. So in my head, I'm like, Oh yeah, man, maybe I'll trade a board for a bow. Yeah. Right. Like full barter style. And Bob, you know, if anybody knows Bob, he's like not going to trade like that, but, uh, he was great. He took me in just, I go, look, I, I, I want to do this. I want to learn to hunt. I want to learn archery. Like, what do i get like i just went in i go look i build high-end boards i believe in the you get what you pay for if it's a quality built product right at any level you get what you pay for like we we're talking about costco wines right same yeah. thing so i went in he goes okay you're gonna get this bow you're gonna get this release these arrows to start because you're gonna break a bunch in the beginning uh and just and then spent like a couple hours with me on the range like i hadn't shot a bow in 25 years or right. whatever And and he just, yep, do this. And of course, I was like nervous. I knew about him. And then, and that was the start. So that was September of 2018. Just shot and shot and shot. And San Diego, thankfully, has 3D tournaments throughout the month, um, 3D targets. So, like, not quite life size targets, but some are. And, you know, you usually have 28, and you, you walk, it's kind of like a golf course. You go around with the group, and, hmm. all right, well, there's a, you know, a, a white tailed deer at, 35 yards and so everybody shoots and you score and and I don't know just Everything I mean, it was the first time I felt like a like a, you know that first time when you're a Grammy going to a surf shop You just want to be in there all day, but yeah. not ask dumbass questions or do dumb shit. Yeah That was me again. And I was like what 37 38. I'm like whoa, and I just go up there and like try not say anything dumb and just, you know pick up dust and and The whole crew up. There's really they're awesome. They're awesome guys and shot 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 Got invited to go on a pig hunt with the, because every month, like, so April, May, no, sorry, April, March, no, March, April, May, June. They basically, like, one or two employees from the shop organize a pig hunt up in Central California. And they go, hey, we have some spots you want to go. So, I'm like, yeah. So, that was my first hunt. And I fortunately harvested a pig, a, a, a wild boar, I think it was like 180 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And I just was like, all right. All right. I'm hooked and so what yeah, let me do you butcher it um i did not it was, it was again it was a, a guided hunt it was you know we had we had a uh, one guide per two hunters and we spot and stocked it you know it was a over a weekend and they just they handle it i mean it's okay. like you know they shape pigs like i shape boards It's right. no brainer they put it in the, in the cooler, and then the next day before we were leaving, butchered it, just like,
1: boom. And then you went home with all that
0: meat? Yeah, but I brought it to our local butcher, then put it into, like, chops, belly, bacon. Got it. You know, uh, okay. ground, you know ground meat. And then that that was in, I believe that was in May of last year. Do you, by the way, do you have a freezer in the garage? Uh, we have three. We have that one. Uh, and then we have a full-size fridge and a chest freezer do you
1: still have pork from that pig
0: oh yeah plenty yeah yeah we still have it yeah um, and then uh, I, I put in so you can put in for tags in different states Bob's like hey, or get in touch with this company this is January last year get in touch with this company epic outdoors sign up with them and, and just tell them what you can do what what your you know financial situation is and your timing and so you sign it. you fill an application and they, they apply for you, right? Because it's a crazy maze of each state has different dead deadlines for Windows, application. Yeah. You get points. Some states like New Mexico, for example, where I got drawn last year, doesn't have a point system. Uh, you, it's just a raffle every year, you know? Um, so I did that. I got in touch with those guys. I go, here, you know? Well, the other thing last year is we were getting married, right? Originally, it was... So elk season's basically like August 30th to September 24th or maybe later in, for archery, right? Well, our wedding date was September 28th So and it's Scorpion Bay. So it was like, ah, oh, we got to get down there. We got to get down there. Well, I had the hunt date from the 9th to the 14th plus driving to New Mexico. Anyways, lo- long story short, oh, well, there's, gosh, there's so much because it's crazy. So there's these... Um, shoots at different places in the United States called the Total Archery Challenge. And it's basically, the first one I did was in Park City. You take the gondola up and there's like six courses on the mountain. So we're at eight, nine, 10,000 feet hiking around, shooting anywhere between 30 and 100 yard targets. It's like really, it, it, for me, it was the, the, the best training to what a real life hunting situation would be. Through that, so another person that got an archery last year is Jocko Willing. Right, we've talked about it. So Jocko got his bow built by the guys at Performance and John Dudley, who's knock on nation, knock on TV. They all got together and got Jocko a bow. Uh, I think John did, and they did it Performance. So he started shooting. Anyways, he has a house in Big Sky, and the next shoot was in Big Sky. So hey, Jocko, and I met John Dudley on the hill via Jocko. He's like, yeah, my buddy from San Diego's up there. Like, check him out. Him and his wife are super cool. So we hit it off and I met his whole crew. And he goes, Well, are you coming to Big Sky next weekend? And I'm like, Uh, it was sold out because you had to sign up for this. He's like, Come on, man, like you just come with us. And I'm like, You sure? Jocko's a cool. He's like, Yeah, man, you can stay at my place. I'm like, all right. So then I went, I we can't we flew home. I flew out, almost didn't make it because the flights got canceled, whatever. It was a nightmare. But we made it and I got the shoot again with John and he had his knock on nation so i just tagged along with like jocko and john and got to meet john barklow and like all that whole archery crew just legendary awesome humans the black rifle guys the yeti guys like just cr- crazy yeah. i'm like i'm just a board builder in san diego that loves to shoot arrows and so that practice and then that was the end of um july tuned up my bow and, and then went and um hunted And harvested this elk that we're gonna eat tonight in New Mexico
1: what what was the hunt
0: like well uh, we did 50 I think it was 52 miles in four days Wow! Um, it was yeah it was I mean I didn't know what to expect I mean I kind of knew what to expect going in I think I mean obviously having a guide you know I paid for a guided entry into the draw so it upped my chances to get drawn and uh, derek my guide he's just a billy goat he's born and raised out there he's been hunting and guiding since he was like 10. you know so i had to keep up with him he's 27 or 28 and just charging and we were an elk within an hour of the oh, first wow. of the first morning so you hike in in the dark in the morning then you hunt you take a break midday and then you start up again in the afternoon and then you hike out at, at the dark in dark so we're basically leaving at 4 AM and coming back at 10, we we weren't camping. We actually stayed in a cabin, but it just was, you know, long days. And, um, we hunted this one zone for two days in elk, but the wind or satellite, we just, we couldn't, I mean, he'd call bulls in, but we couldn't get them within 50 and we get you know blown out by a spike bull or satellite bull. And so the third morning we had a, a big six point beat us up to a ridge. And he came in, he bugled us at 30 yards. If you ever ever heard an elk bugle, it rattles your chest cavity with, if they're within a hundred yards, it's just the most crazy sound. And he's just like, and, and he, and he was coming right at us. So he, he surprised us. He came up this ridge way quicker than we, we thought. So we got caught on the wrong side of a tree for cover anyways the wind switched because it just was like 630 and the thermals changed just and we fell in on the back of our necks and he he stopped and then he moved about eight yards and then derek's like shoot why did you shoot and i didn't have a shot i had to let it go through trees you know yeah he was on his knees and had a shooting lane i was standing up because i didn't want to move like while the bull was there Uh, anyway so the next morning we went to a completely different range hiked up like 1200 feet straight up the side of a hill Sorry, glassing ridge lines and, and these crazy canyons. And he's like, nah, let's get out of here. We went home, like, rested. I had a couple beers, had lunch, took a nap, woke up, shot my bow. Then we went to this other zone and immediately, like, hiked in two miles. He let out a couple of cow calls, and boom, there was four bulls in this little pocket of a canyon. And this thing, he called in from like 700 yards across a canyon straight at us and he goes okay you know get ready i'm gonna go back up the hill 50 60 yards and sure enough it came it didn't come right it was it you know he's like it's gonna come right at you i'm like okay you know and it came up a little to my left and i ranged it at 55 yards and he went by in cover came to full draw you know when i ranged it i was totally shaking like you know okay thankfully my um my range has image stabilization <laughs> thank god and i i didn't have to chirp at him to stop him he just he put his head down to feed and i stepped back out and it was 55 yards and uh, it was a liver lung shot and um was like really stoked but then we let it go for a half hour because you want them to kind of you don't want to chase them because they'll go for miles if they okay yeah if you if you, so know, you know it's, it's not
1: a, a, you know it's a clean shot you know it he's wasn't a go.
0: lung heart it wasn't like a heart shot if you get okay. a heart shot and you know it or a double lung shot it's going down within a hundred yards most most cases mine was a little back but it was quartering away so I got liver lung so but you could identify that he as, could I could okay. I'm just like full rookie I don't you know I'm I'm like is it it wasn't guts you don't want guts because unfortunately you could hurt an animal and either have a very long slow death or it heals up but it's always you know, it's got an arrow right. on it or something so we let it go for about 30 minutes well derek's such a badass he called another bull into 20 yards while we we're waiting for that oh my gosh well we got on the blood trail lose the blood trail and we were doing 360s around the last blood we couldn't figure out where it went and then um it was getting dark and he, he's like hey shh. and you could hear something walking real slow but pretty close but we couldn't see it he goes, We get it, we we gotta get out of here. So we we left. We backed out, we marked it on the GPS, went home, like kind of celebrated. It's like, okay, I have an arrow and a bowl. I'm like, fuck, I hope we find this thing. So we went back in the morning, back to the blood trail, same thing, an hour and a half. Finally, Derek's like, okay, stay here. I'm gonna start doing a grid. So we started gridding this whole hillside, and then I hear him whistle. So I went from complete depression, devastation, The worst feeling i've ever had one i felt bad i mean it's like holy shit i heard you know shot this animal i don't know if it's gonna die like and then i heard him whistle and it was complete elation just like went around the corner saw the beautiful blonde uh of its hide and just was like wow and it was down
1: it was down yeah it was dead
0: it was dead yeah from the night before probably i don't know i i yeah yeah with the shot like when we when we rolled it over and saw yeah it probably died that night yeah um and that's where the work began cuz we had to get out like 250 some pounds of meat between 3 of us. And yeah, that was that was gnarly.
1: Do you so, do it all in one trip?
0: We did that, but they the guy, um Derek and his buddy went back in to get the head and the cape. Got so it. I'm going to get a shoulder mount, but um that was brutal. I mean, that was I probably had 100 pounds of meat on my back and it was really hard. Thankfully it was close to the forest trail and the floor, forest trail is pretty flat, but That's why you see guys like Cam Haynes and Rogan and Dudley and all these guys train all year for one week. Right. And Uh, it makes total sense after that. How long did it take to
1: dress it? And and then how many miles out?
0: Uh, We were just about two and a half miles from the truck. Okay. It's not Um, too bad. Yeah. And we were only about 100 yards down from, like I said, we came in on a forest trail, but walking, not driving. So it was pretty flat. And then the bull was only about a hundred yards down from that, thankfully, because that canyon kept going down. Yeah, like you couldn't you couldn't see the bottom of it. It was like one of those nightmares, but just got everything up to that point, man. Between people and timing and luck, and it just, I you couldn't have written it. I couldn't have written it. Good. So, yeah. So sorry to geek out about that. But no, that's it's such been, a good
1: story. It was amazing. Um, was the pig the first animal that you had ever killed? And the elk well yeah second? besides
0: like doves with pellet guns when i was like 10 but yeah as far as a hunt yeah yeah the boar was the first one
1: uh how did you feel uh like ethically and emotionally and morally and just human about both those animals
0: well my main thing like it's not about like oh out, i want to mount i want to get the biggest six point like literally my eyes like, i want to harvest meat you know my wife cooks we eat meat um And that was, and her dad, her sister's hunt, like, so just for me, it was like, I just want to harvest meat, you know, and provide and do it ethically, obviously. Um, When, when I, when I shot the pig, it just, it was a long stock and things stood up and you really just focus on your technique, you know, like, okay, like there's the spot and that you're just like, you know, don't blow the shot, like have a clean shot and, and I and I shot it and it went down within 30 yards I think and so I don't know I I kind of was in disbelief I was like did that just happen right this thing stands up you know and there it was way bigger than it looked like the guys like, go oh, 30 yards I'm like okay boom and then it went down and we walked up on it was like holy shit that's a big pig cuz you, you know you just you kind of black out like you kind of you know it's like that um, uh, what do they call it when you're in the zone you know you just fugue, like, like fugue state yeah yeah you just i don't even like how was it i was like were you nervous like no i don't remember
1: yeah it yeah, just yeah.
0: happened and then thankfully we went down you know we didn't have to go find it or get any dogs to go find it so
1: um and the, then the, a pig a pig is ugly it's almost easier to take a life for strangely if something that's not cute yeah but a. but a elk is so majestic yeah. that it feels like there'd be more emotion involved in an elk.
0: Oh, yeah. They're every emotion you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, just we were in them. I mean, we had a I had a, a spike elk within 10 feet of me do a full almost 360 until he got my win. Like for me to the TV just walking around in a circle and they're six feet tall. I mean, yeah. they're and I mean, I was I told Derek after the second afternoon so two days of being in them all day I was like price of admission i'm good right like if i get one right on if i don't right on like yeah. it was amazing they're, they're amazing um but again the, the you know the meat and you know hunting's conservation that's a hard topic for a lot of people to understand you know yeah. um, i got a lot of hate i posted on my my instagram and you know i got maybe a couple i don't know 100 and some comments and 75 percent of the negative ones were from europe which is weird like from france like you guys eat more force-fed duck and cured meats than like any other country around, yeah. and then the other small chunk of people, the haters, were from South America. Hmm. Uh, it was really curious, and yeah, it was gnarly because it got so bad. Like my distributor in France was like, "Hey, bro, like I understand why you hunt, but our our customers over here are having a hard time with it." I'm like, "Wow." Well, then tell them. Then either they're all vegetarians and grow their own food, or tell them to get fucked.
1: Yeah, like I mean, so you don't change what you're gonna post based on that feedback no based on the optics for your business
0: no i mean i'm sure a gnarly business guy would be like look keep personal personal and business business but like i'm sorry it's like yeah. it's my instagram i don't have time for two instagrams right yeah i, I have wouldn't time change. for one you know? I, I personally wouldn't change either yeah, and i told i told them i'm like then tell them to not eat foie gras or yeah. chorizo or
1: Right, You know, like, right.
0: or they're making all their food in their own house. Like it's, it's, it, that, that's a tough conversation to get people. Like it's really polarizing amongst other things right now that we're currently dealing with. Right. Like it's a real polarizing issue, but if it weren't for hunters, there'd be no money for conservation or biologists to go study herds and say, Hey, like we can't hunt here this year because the herds are low or whatever. So yeah. anyways, sorry to go off on that.
1: No, no. Um, so How long will that elk last you?
0: We probably have between my my my, the pig and my elk. We probably still have um, I don't know forty pounds of meat. So So, it'll
1: last you two years. No, no, a year. A year.
0: Yeah, because I I hope to go elk hunting again in September and we're in May or June now. So yeah, um, probably have it. We don't eat it every night, right? But we also haven't bought meat from a store in a year,
1: right? Do you notice any diminishing um, diminishing of quality Not after yet. it's been in the freezer? Not yet. Do you expect to or do people?
0: It won't last. I mean, I mean the meat won't – like, we'll eat it before that
1: happens. So at the end of a year, it doesn't taste worse than at the beginning of the year?
0: I don't know. I have nothing to compare it to. But you talk
1: Maybe. to people who kill animals and –
0: yeah. I I don't, I mean, no one's ever really said, it's not like fish, you know, how fish gets like you get freezer burn and yeah. then you got to like trim fish up to, I, I don't think so. the way they wrap it, you know, they do the saran wrap and they do it in like double, you know, butcher wax paper. I, I don't, I haven't seen any diminishing. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's far, awesome. but you know, not buying meat from a conventional store is what matters. Like, totally. So. And not supporting the
1: commercially. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah the commercial yeah. farm stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um. In regard, I mean, this kind of relates tangentially to fitness. What's your hip injury from?
0: Well, I was a breech baby, so I came out butt first. And I literally just found out last, no, not last weekend, the weekend before, that my mom barely made it to the hospital. So I she has I have an older half-brother. Um, my aunt's like, oh, yeah, your mom, like, almost had you in the back of a car. Yeah. Okay. Because, and so I was breech. So I came out ass first. And... Having, I got MRI and, well, there's a long history with it, but uh, the most recent one I got, I got an MRI and, and x-rays in August of last year. And, and I always thought I had leg perthes It's called LCP, which is when you're born, you don't have any cartilage on your top of your hip joints. It's usually a, uh, like a, a male Caucasian thing. Hmm. I don't know why. Um, just through the science, that's what it is. Um, but this doctor goes no he goes I think you have you had hip you were born with hip dysplasia so basically I mean you can figure out the mechanics for a baby to come out ass first where do its legs have to be over its fucking shoulders Mm -hmm. and so basically your hip joints uh, pop out or dislocate so that you can come through the canal and in that time there can be some damage so basically what I have is I have egg-shaped femoral heads And then I have really shallow cups, hip cups. So in the x-rays that we just had, the doctor's like, yeah. So basically picture like your front tire that's out of alignment and the inside tread's totally bald, but the outside tread's totally good. He's like, that's kind of what you have. Um, What exacerbated it though on my left side is, well, it's my back leg. I'm a goofy foot. I go left to right in the shaping room, but I broke this leg playing soccer in high school. And so when I was 15, 16, I never properly built that muscle back up so through surfing and then through other sports and then once i started shaping full-time when i was 26 i was just bound up and tight but my left side was weak so it it helped like exacerbate the inflammation in the joint and then some of the cartilage like the mri guy said yeah you don't have a labrum in your left hip Mm. so yeah that's that that's where i'm at so yeah surfing for the last 15 years isn't always enjoyable that's rough
1: yeah it's rough uh you look more fit than i remember last time we did a podcast together is that accurate are you more fit
0: yes i've definitely worked out a bunch uh in the last six months Um, just in the
1: last six months yeah it's weird what what inspired that
0: well just um well one my my wife's a badass she worked her and her sister work out every day um elk hunting you know realizing like there was a couple situations like if we had gone and killed a bull in one of the these canyons we went to i looked at my guide like dude you're gonna have to get me out of here really yeah like you know really really steep steep canyons and just having just being like fuck like that's i'm only uh, i'll be 40 in october this year so it's like you know, and then you see other guys like, you know, Rogan's in his 50s, Cam Haynes. Like these guys are just badasses. Jocko, like, they train every day. So it's been good motivation. Um, but the problem is, is like anything I do, if I'm not balanced and strong, my hips take the, the brunt of whatever I do. Like, I don't run. I'd love, I used to be a really good runner. I played soccer my whole life, but I can't. Like, it just it inflames it. So we've been working with a, um, a girl, Noelle, and her company's called uh, Movement for Life and Sport or sport in life. And she's all about retraining your, your transverse abdominis. So basically like your glutes and your lower abs and how your hips sit. And so I was back left and twisted probably have been that way for 10 or 12 years. And so since November, we've been able to get my hip to actually sit properly. Hmm. And like we've been doing these really rad workouts. So we'll work out, you know, deadlifts and there's crazy um, sit-up combinations and such, you know, planks and all these really basic rudimentary movements, but they engage all the stuff that's because of just how my hips are that have not been engaged. And man, I'll do that workout and then I'll go surf for two hours and I'll go shape a board. I come home and I'm like, oh, my hips don't hurt. Amazing. I have to stay on it though. Like if I don't, like we roll out every morning on, we have these like really gnarly black not foam rollers, but, um, PVC piping. So it's like just, you know, really hard softballs. And we have, we both have different, uh, Tori and I both have different things with our hips. And so we have to stay on it, but I'll tell you what, man, like to be able to do all that in a day and come home and not be pissed off. Cause I gave over my elk hunt worked like my hips hurt. I was a dick to her. She we are so fucking mean. I'm like, Cause basically, I like I'm in pain all day. Yeah. And I've been that way for a long time. I deal with it. Thank God I'm not like a drug addict and take, you know, oxys or painkillers. Right. A lot of people would. Totally. So I was so fed up with it last summer that I just like fuck. I want to get a hip You know, hip replacement. You know, and and they're like, look, and if you can't sleep at night, okay, maybe. But so this workout we've been doing the last six months has really helped it out. Good. Like I, I can't believe it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Good. That's like pump. So yeah, I enjoy working out. If it doesn't hurt, you know, we mm-hmm. have a she bought me a the, one of the air assault bikes, the Echo Rogues, and man, 15, 20 minutes on that thing and you're done. Really? Yeah. And these guys, like my one buddy Trevor can sit on that thing for like an hour and a half. Like just you know You build up you build up <laughs> tolerance, you get tolerance for certain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny how
1: influential Rogan has become. Yep. Isn't it? Like
0: it's got to be a blessing and a curse for him, though. You well, know? <laughs> for him, for sure.
1: But I'm just curious. I'm interested. Like, I can't remember, I don't know, uh, somebody or that organically, like, coming up and, like, influencing, like, guys get into hunting now because of Rogan. Guys oh, are now
0: 100
1: uh, doing kettlebell workouts because of Rogan that yeah. never would have gotten into the gym before. Like, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's it, really fascinating yeah, how much crazy. he's resonated with people. I almost feel like uh, he is... Um, the i don't know like the archetype machismo like fitness and like eat a bunch of meat and and hunt your food and all that sort of stuff flies in the face of like this kind of uh feminization maybe of male culture up for the prior decade it almost is like mm. a, a stretching back to the other side and i think the ufc is kind of that mm-hmm. at large
0: mm-hmm. um yeah well- he was supposedly he was supposed to be up in big sky last summer um but i think his wife had planned a trip so i i I was maybe going to meet him last summer which would be cool but for everyone i talked to like jocko and stuff he's like dude joe's cool he's just like normal i mean he tell he's like i'm a normal guy i like to learn things and you know i have my opinions but i'm not going to like shut anybody else down because their opinion is different from mine and that's just what we need more of that like what happened to critical thinking in america it's like come on yeah it's like all the shit that's going on right now, like literally, like today, like in San Diego. There's things burning. It's like what the fuck. I know. It's bullshit. It really is. It's like what happened? Yeah, and you know, social media, good or bad. It's like it's crazy. But uh, he's like kind of just this neutral, you know, no nonsense. He, yeah, he just interviews and a, and he's very inquisitive and he's a good con. You know, converses well and like it's it's cool. I've learned. I mean, I think. I started on his podcast at 7.55 and what's he at now? Like almost 1,500 or something. Yeah. So imagine that's a lot of hours and yeah.
1: he's just great, man. Um, when are we going to get Jocko
0: on this podcast? I would say, I well, this morning where we were going to go surf, we had a chance. He gave me a live surf report. I'll show you. That can happen. He'd be down. I would down. love to, dude. He just got interviewed. He said a, a little insert inside cover thing for Surfer's Journal. No way. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, just Good. like a one pager, but... I well, would he love surfs to, all the time. Him and kids,
1: dude. I would love to talk to... I think all of my listeners would love to hear from him. Uh, aside from like all the Navy SEAL stuff that he's already talked about with everybody else, like to have a surf conversation with oh, him. Oh,
0: he'd be stoked. That's what I want to talk about. If you knew where he lived, bro, you'd be like... Um, he lives across the street from two of my favorite waves in San Diego. Like, like, yeah. You could throw a baseball and hit the waves. How's he surf? He's great. He's a goofy foot, thank God. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I just shaped him at 11.7 because, you know, he's a big guy. Yeah, but he, he's, you know, he's in great shape, but he's just big, like thick, you know? So he's rides some small... He got, has a couple boards from John Hawley and, and, you know, Gene Cooper is a friend of his. And um, he's got a beautiful quiver. He's got some boards from some friends of his that have passed, like these big brewer balsa guns that, you know, they're for riding. They're for, you know... I mean, he'll ride them, right, as, to respect the boards and stuff and his friend, but... Yeah, I just built him this big 11 7. And that's, I think, pretty much what he's been cruising on.
1: It's been really cool to see his uh, fame for, you know, I mean, he was
0: always successful. Influence, you know? Yeah, influence.
1: He was always successful, obviously, um, as a SEAL in that world. But, like, just his prominence. On a public sphere, yeah, it's been really rad to see in the last couple of years. Yeah, how he's, well he's done, and yeah. and how he's leveraged it to actually grow businesses. Yeah, he's a real interesting story. No, he's Great he's story. cool.
0: You know, i We've become really good friends. Uh, his wife Helen and Tori, like, they talk all the time, and we, you know, we've hung out at their place, you know, a couple times. And he's just a good vibe guy. That's awesome. And he's just good vibes, and he's got all his kids in town right now because you know he has what three daughters and Thor, so they're all at home, you know, because they're the daughters have had to come back from college and stuff. And uh, they're just great people, man. Like That's awesome. you just need more more of that in these times, you know. Like look for some anchors, look for certain um northern stars to sort of, you know, even if you can just go that direction a little bit in your life, it's gonna be better than not, right? Totally. So totally. Yeah, he's he's a great and you know he's right here. I see him like all the time yeah
1: that's so cool um in closing uh final question for everybody is what was the last surfboard that you rode and kind of a broader question for you is just what are you building now and what are you excited about and where's your business like design wise going um
0: the last board i rode was yesterday it was a nine foot fish simmons with uh marlon bacon's uh not glass on bamboos he's actually making the bamboo fins for future with future bases yeah so I've got a nine footer that I've been riding the last season, uh, really fun. And um, you know, I'm building a lot of everything again because of the customs I built today. I built a pintail nose rider two plus one. Uh, yesterday was an eleven foot eagle. The day before that was, you know, a nine six nose rider down to a six egg. Like it's really. It's really fun to shape because everybody's like, well, well, I've got this and I have your one model and I got a model from this guy and this guy. And well, what you know, it's just back to like being fun and creative. And um, I just shaped myself a ten six diamond tail, like pointed nose diamond tail. a uh, model I haven't shaped in I don't know, twelve or thirteen years.
1: Wow. So I think listeners would be curious to hear what Skip's up to now too. And is he still surfing and
0: Skip, yeah. So, you know, he is in the well with the COVID thing he's he'll be 79 this year so he's like upper you know tier of the the people that need to quarantine so yeah they quarantine really hardcore for six or eight weeks and then um i think two or three weeks ago he got back down to the shop just to like you know he's like i'm kind of losing weight you know i'm like well you're not surfing he's like yeah i know so so he's been back at the shop on lockdown um kind of building a couple boards uh he's not seeing any outside clients. So don't call him looking for a custom because you aren't going to get it. Uh, he just has a couple people that he likes to build boards for. And he did get his first surfed in a couple days ago. And, um, you know, if, he's been really bummed the last couple of years on the crowds and just the whole thing, you yeah. know, and he's like, oh, I'm going to hang it up. And of course, he said that probably for 30 years, you know, but like, you know, the last few years have been really tough. And so, but he's yeah he said he surf said he was totally worked you know mm-hmm. so he went home to take his Epson, Epson salt bath and, and 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 soak but um yeah he's hopefully going to be back into it you know we're getting into sano time so skip loves going up to sano during the summer and and uh we're getting there and the water's getting warmer and um he's just stoked
1: good you know? yeah good still at it man Glad still to hear it.
0: the legend you know Glad our north star as we call him down here
1: right yeah awesome josh hall let's eat some milk. Let's eat some milk. All right. <laughs>
0: Cheers. Wash away my troubles. Wash away my pain. with the rain shone by love. Wash away my sorrow. Wash away my shame. with the rain shone by love.
1: Huge thanks to Josh and his wife, Tori, who is a nutritionist, a fantastic chef and author of the mexican keto cookbook she's done really amazing work helping people with lifelong illnesses pain and discomfort find healing and health through simple and even preferable dietary changes her mexican keto cookbook is published by penguin random house and it's available at the aloha exchange in kauai Or it's available on Amazon. I'll actually post a link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. So you can go there, find that, and then find photos of Josh's boards. And also the elk that he took down and fed us with the night that we recorded this podcast. There's also a comment section on our website, so you can leave a note for Josh or any past guests. And I will make sure that I forward that along to them. It also tremendously helps if you can rate and review this show in Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen in. That helps strangers to find the show. And if we can garner enough influence, maybe Josh's buddy Jocko Willink will grace us with his presence to chat about surfing. That would be a huge get for me. I would love to chat with Jocko. Um, And anyway, I think that's it for now. So thank you for listening. Truly, it's given me the opportunity to become friends with guys like Josh, uh, which is a gift. Uh, My friend group in the last seven years that I've been doing this podcast looks radically different than it did prior. And that's strictly a reflection of your support just through simple things like listening and supporting the brands that we promote here and your donations, which allow us to continue to invest in the show and help it grow. So thank you for all of that. I'm hugely grateful for it. I'll be back Wednesday with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. But until then, this is, of course, David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and, of course, shred
0: it.